Hello, and welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Cranson. Today, I'm going to be revisiting a topic that I've touched on a few times in the past couple of years on the podcast, and that's tolling, an uh, ambitious, robust tolling study undertaken by HNTB, one of the nation's top transportation consulting firms, uh, has wrapped up toward the end of 2022 and was provided to the previous legislature as asked for in the statute that, that created the tolling study. Today, I'm gonna to talk with Eric Morris, who is the practice leader for HNTB Michigan. And he's been intricately involved in this and has uh, a, a very good perspective and can set us straight on some of the facts uh, that are laid out in the study, what the findings were, and also put it in context. And I should say, just to start with, that some 35 states have at least one facility with tolling in this country, but that number is a little deceiving because Michigan would be counted in that total since there is tolling on big bridges and or international crossings, but there are no roadways with actual tolling. So Eric, thank you for taking time to be here. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate the opportunity. So my big takeaway, and I, I'm eager to, to hear yours, um, is that 31 highways in Michigan were analyzed and uh, about half of those were determined uh, could be feasible to have toll roads, including portions of our big interstates, our heaviest travel interstates, I-75, I-94, and I-96. Um, what would you say about that? So I would say the way that the study team um, undertook the challenge from the legislature as it was laid out in, uh, in the in the public act and the law that was signed was to look to see, is there a, a system or a network of freeways that could be feasible for tolling um, from a social, technical and financial standpoint? And when we were looking at it from a financial standpoint, which is a, a big consideration for tolling, uh, right? I mean, this, this was born out of the conversation about road funding in general. Uh, we looked for a, a network or a system of roads uh, that could be self-sustaining. And what we mean by self-sustaining is that the tolls collected on the roads would pay for the life cycle costs of those roads. Uh, currently, we pay for our transportation system uh, largely through motor fuel tax and registration fees. And so is there a network of freeways that we could pull off uh, and and have a self-sustaining user fee or toll system. And, and so really that was the lens that we looked at and uh, ended up coming up with a system uh, that based on our financial projections and cost projections, uh, being mindful of, of users and functions of the freeway, we came up with a network that uh, could be feasible. So maybe we should do a, a reset right from the start because this was born out of decades of discussion about road funding. Um, all the states are struggling with this one way or the other. Most of the states that are actually doing very well with their road programs have tolling and have also been aggressive uh, about raising their fuel taxes. Um, Pennsylvania obviously did a major boost to fuel taxes uh, in the last 10 years, but Florida, Texas, um, you know, politically conservative states have been really good about funding their roads. So. Why do you think it's been so difficult in, in Michigan to find a, a long-term sustainable solution? 
Well, you know, I don't want to stray out of my lane too much uh, at being a, a, a trained engineer and not a not a poli sci major. Um, but I, I think it's it's partly because those states have valued their transportation network. They're also growing states, uh, and and growth generates a lot of opportunities that stagnation or shrinkage does not. Right, and so. I think that's that's been uh, an advantage for states like Florida and Tennessee and Texas. Um, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is we have aging infrastructure uh, that needs to be cared for and, and protected because it supports our entire economy. Right. Like when when roads were first paved and when the gas tax was first born. It was for a niche group of, of owners of these newfangled things called automobiles that were having trouble getting through the rutted dirt roads and log roads and brick roads that existed. Or even and bicycles. So, exactly. Exactly. With with horses and buggies. And and so what what the solution was at the time was to charge a motor fuel tax, which these new automobiles needed and use that money to pave the roads. And. And that funding system, Jeff, is still in place 100 years later. And so our current funding system for transportation is incredibly antiquated. And um, there are a lot of merits to a user user benefits, user pays uh, system. But the thing that 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 I would couch with you in this in this whole paradigm is that whether a person uses the, uh, a roadway once or 100 times, that roadway has to be built. Uh, and so it's, uh, you know, th- this is the system that we have. Uh, we, we pay for our entire system uh, on, on trips to the gasoline pump and registration fees. It's roughly a 50-50 split right now. Um, but we are actively encouraging people to stop going to the gasoline pump. And so not only do we have a giant shortfall in the funding for our transportation system as a state, the last report that was done many uh, several years ago uh, estimated at well over $2 billion a year. Uh, it, it has grown since then because the condition of our roads has gotten worse and the cost of our roads has gone up. Um, so not only do we have a delta in what, what we need to fund for the system, but now we're actively encouraging people to stop going to the gasoline pump. Uh, and so that, that funding that we do have is going to trail off. We need to find a new way. Um, well, and I think that's the best thing that can come out of this, you know, that we're having a conversation about alternatives that, that yep. we've been talking about the same things for so long. In 2014, the Michigan legislature came very close to passing uh, what would have been a more sustainable fuel tax solution than what we actually got out of the 2015 package. Um, and then early on, we talked about it again a few years ago. But for the most part, if this starts to move the conversation toward the future and, you know, what other states are looking at, that's a that's a really good thing. But talk a little bit about your your background and understanding that you've gained on these various systems and what various states do about, uh, you know, road user charge or VMT model like has been piloted in Oregon and some other states. And, you know, compare that to tolling. Sure. So what what I would say there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about um, uh, MBUF or mileage based user fees or uh, RUC road user charging or VMT vehicle miles uh, tax. 
They're all yeah. essentially a user fee for a proportional user fee for however many miles you drive on the roads, then that determines uh, your your share of the fee. What I would say about tolling is tolling is a road user charge with the technology that we have today that's available today. Um, there, there's a lot of interest in road user charges because it is agnostic to the fuel economy uh, of your vehicle, which is which is a po- which is very much a positive. Um, and there are some states that have been very progressive in how they've implemented it. Um, Oregon, uh, Utah, Virginia, uh, many states have pilots, but states like Oregon actually have uh, what I would call production or permanent installations of it. However, I'm not aware of any implementations across the U.S. uh, that are anything but voluntary. So meaning people have to volunteer to be part of the program. The inherent challenge with that is, generally speaking, taxpayers don't volunteer to pay more tax than they have to. Um, And so these programs aren't generally they're they're switching from a motor fuel stream to a user fee stream, right? So they're, they're, they're switching how the fee is assessed, but they're not raising new revenues. And in fact, Oregon, which is the absolute gold standard for these implementations, still a volunteer, there are 700 people um, or, or members of that, of that program, roughly 700 people. Uh, it's a long way to go from 700 to... 10 million residents of of Michigan. So um, in all of these, whether it's tolling or gas tax or registration fees or MBUF, uh, the thing that I think is important to understand is that these are all options and there is no one silver bullet out there. Uh, the, the, The ultimate solution that's going to deliver the most value for the people of the state of Michigan is going to be some combination of those ideas uh, and it's going to take, uh, you know, really strong public discourse and then strong leadership out of our policymakers, because uh, nobody in the executive branch can make the determination to move forward with this versus that. It's going to take a, a, um, a partnership with legislative policymakers, executive policymakers to decide how we move forward. And the legislature has to view it as a choice or view what they put before the public as a choice. We can do this. Or we can do this. Um, both these are going to raise funds, but it can't be, you know, this or nothing. Because as as you've pointed out many times, if you ask the public, do you want to pay more? They're going to say no. So, yeah. G- generally speaking, if you give somebody a choice of paying something or paying nothing, they generally choose to pay nothing. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, go- going back many years, I think that was one of the um, uh, really intriguing parts of Prop A way uh, back in the 90s, right? It was a uh, it was an either or decision. It wasn't a yes or no decision. Yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll link to that because that seems uh, so so ancient now to many people um, still fresh in my mind. I remember the fight and I remember how they got there. And it was actually uh, it turned out to be, you know, pretty smart. I think that there's a lot of criticisms now about what it did, especially in terms of property taxes. But I think uh Over the long run, it worked out better than maybe a lot of people thought it would. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. No, before you go, head on over to MyDrive to check out the latest on road construction and possible delays along your route. For a detailed map, head over to michigan.gov slash drive. 
talk a little bit about what else you found in the in the study. I, I think the most, uh, I guess, the, the scenario that jumps out at me would be drivers could be charged six cents, you know, per mile. So I think uh, Jonathan Osting and his analysis in Bridge Magazine said that's about twelve dollars to take I ninety four, you know, from where you cross in at New Buffalo to uh, you know Metro Detroit. So uh, a lot more for trucks, obviously. Yeah. So what? So the the study looked at a variety of different toll rates. We um, in the feasibility uh, report, we kind of looked at some different scenarios. Uh, and the one that uh, w- what you're balancing is um, the revenue that raise is raised. Can it can it support the freeways? But then also uh, as as you raise the toll revenue, you're diverting more traffic off of the freeways onto the surface network. And so you're you're trying to balance diversion and raise revenue. So we looked at uh, the team looked at four, six and eight cents a mile. Um, and that that six cent scenario was the most feasible. Um, what's what's key to understand about the work is it's not a feasibility is not a binary question. It's not yes or no. It's a spectrum because there are different things that you can do in terms of policies and toll rates uh, and ways you collect that impact the feasibility. And so what it is, uh, the way that we defined it in the report was freeways of, you know, high, medium and low feasibility. And then and then think, you know, what what system or what approach would be most feasible? Um, and so we found that six cents a mile, uh, roughly six cents a mile for passenger cars uh, and um, about 24 cents a mile for uh uh, 18-wheeler, you know, five-axle semi-trucks was the most feasible scenario that that best balanced diversion and the revenue generated. Um, and then uh, coming out of that feasibility report, when we identified the most feasible network, then we started developing what we called an implementation plan. So basically asking the question, okay, if the legislature someday gave this a thumbs up to do this and the governor agreed and signed it into law, what would be the playbook for how you would do that? And so that's what the implementation plan is. It looks into making some recommendations on which freeways would we start with, uh, which federal programs would we use? There are federal programs that have to be used. Um, How would you go about uh, phasing and financing uh, this? Because, uh, Tolling systems are generally you borrow the money up front and then pay those pays to do the work and then pay those funds back with tolls. Uh, what sort of uh, equity programs would we implement to acknowledge the fact that not everybody has the same capability to pay the tolls and uh, some economically disadvantaged communities might need some help? So what what equity programs would we put into place? And then what would be some of the benefits of, of a toll system if that would uh, be done, such as toll credits uh, that would be generated for the state to use as soft match for federal programs? But then what would some of the drawbacks be? Uh, what, would be what would be some of the drawbacks? There are uh, some groups out there that are not a fan of tolling. Um, there's some trucking groups that, that don't agree with that um, because – uh, quite frankly, a toll system has a higher cost to collect the funds than a motor fuel tax does. Uh, what we found in our work was that um, it cost about 13% of the toll revenues to collect and administer 
the system on a on on a tolling basis and uh, motor fuel tax. Nobody's got a uh, a really hard number, but somewhere in that five percent, three to five percent range, right? So, um, it it's it it's more costly to have a uh, a tolling system, uh, which incidentally is one of the challenges with a, a VMT or a road user charge uh, as as we're envisioning is the cost to collect is higher with those as well. So it's a series of trade-offs and in that in that implementation plan and feasibility study really our job was to present all sides of, of the scenario and talk about what would be possible but what would be the trade-offs and um, you know put that forward for policymakers to make that decision. So let's get back to that equity discussion in a, in a minute, because I think it's very important. Um, sure. but, but first, talk about the common thread in those roads that were deemed highly feasible. Um, well, the, the, the common thread, at least that, that I see, are those are, the, those are the roads with the highest amount of traffic, right? They, um, they are the most traveled roadways uh, in, in Michigan. It was interesting when we were doing our stakeholder engagement, even, even before the law was passed, uh, legislators and people in the public kept using I-94 as the example, right? Like, we'll say we told I-94. Uh, I think part of that was because I-94 back in the 50s was originally envisioned to be a tolled road uh, before it was a part of the interstate system. Um, but also because of how busy and how much truck traffic it carries and how much traffic it carries. Well, it was no surprise to anyone that the I-94 corridor across Michigan, um, from a financial standpoint, was uh, probably the most feasible corridor that that we saw. Well, it goes to the common view that tolling would never work in Michigan because we're a peninsula state. But 94 actually feels like a pass through from, you know, from Chicago and points west to another country. Basically, it, it, so. it is. It is. It is. I-94 through, you know, through Detroit is the quickest way to get from the port of Halifax to uh, Chicago. Right. It goes right through Detroit and I-94. But even still, um the, the thing that we need to be remindful or mindful of is that tolling is a user uh, it's a it's a user charge it's a user fee so it it charges whoever is driving on it whether they're whether they live in Ohio or Indiana or Canada or Michigan it it doesn't matter where they're from if they use the freeway they use the freeway um, one of the one of the aspects of the legislation required us to uh, assess uh, who would be told uh, in terms of percentages. And broadly speaking, uh, roughly we have about 10% out of, out of state traffic uh, on some of our roads. Uh, the closer you get to the borders, the higher that percentage goes up. The further away from the borders you get, the, the, uh, the lower that percentage. Goes. I'm surprised that number isn't higher when you think about the summertime and US 31 and US 131 and I-75 and US 127 and the number of people coming from, you know, on the west side of the state. I mean, you travel anywhere from Saugatuck to Charlevoix, you see a lot of Illinois plates. Um, obviously, yeah. you see a lot of uh, Ohio and Indiana plates headed up north to, you know, other parts. So I, I'm surprised that 10 percent figure isn't actually higher. The um, that was actually one of the aspects of the study that was a little surprising to the team where we got, um, you know, based on the, the the data and the analysis that we did on the data. Right. Wanted to be very data driven on the study. That was one of the things that um, 
surprised us a little bit as well. Yeah. So let's go back to equity for a minute and, and what some other states have done, some creative things and, and what you found would be, uh, you know, the most practical application here if this were to be implemented. So um, I will say that the overall industry trend is really heading towards uh, being more interactive with the public and the users of the system to determine, you know, what what sort of programs would deliver the most value for the communities that need it the most. Um, in uh, in Virginia, they have a uh, toll relief program that is a somewhat income qualified qualification based. So uh, one of the things that we looked at was, um, oh, an analogous program. If you, if you qualify for the uh, bridge card program uh, in Michigan, maybe you would call, qualify for reduced or free tolls in Michigan, something like that. Um, another program out in California uh, actually put uh, an advisory board together and that advisory board provided recommendations to the toll authority about programs that would make a difference. And this could be transit subsidies or reduced tolls or, um, you know, say if you qualify for the program, maybe you get uh, $25 in uh, preloaded onto your transponder every month uh, to help offset that. So there's a variety of ideas out there uh, to help uh, uh, different communities deal with uh, the impacts of tolling because there are impacts. Um, But the best practices really are in getting out and engaging with the communities to understand what means the most, as opposed to an agency just sort of cooking up a program in their own walls and rolling it out without sort of communicating and testing that. Um, In Michigan, I actually, broadly on transportation projects, I see that happening more uh, across the board, whether it's uh, mega projects in Detroit like I-94 or I-375 or I-75, uh, I think Michigan has been a great leader in reaching out to the communities and meeting people where they are to understand what what's valued on those projects, to be able to deliver that for those communities. And there's a ton of parallels to what we would um, what what would be recommended if a tolling system would be uh, if it would be launched. So I think that um, this question came up during committee hearings and the legislation to advocate or the legislation that actually required MDOT to hire a consultant and conduct this tolling study. And it seemed uh, even then that while there were concerns, the people that raised them were were satisfied that that you or whoever was going to end up you know taking over the study and, and implementing it. We're, we're sensitive to those those needs and and we'll make sure that that's addressed. So it sounds like you're confident that that will be part of this one way or the other, that there's not going to be an unfair burden on lower income people. It, if the if the legislator legislature made a decision to move forward with it, um, you know, my recommendation, our firm's recommendation, and that's what's in the report, is that the, the equity program needs to be a, uh, a a cornerstone or part of that program as a foundation. Otherwise, uh, I, I don't believe it would be successful. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you, you want to say about the study? We're going to have plenty of time to delve further into it and talk about it and, and see if the legislature does pick up on this and start some some you know more more conversations or not. 
Yeah, and that's I, I think that's the big uh, takeaway for me, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and 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 talk with you here. Uh, I really hope it spurs the conversation and moves the conversation forward. I don't know what the answer is uh, ultimately for Michigan um, in in terms of continuing to invest in our infrastructure. Um, I know we need to invest more uh, than than what we're currently doing, and I just I really hope that uh, this study is thought-provoking to people and spurs uh, quality discussion and, and helps helps move our state forward in some form or fashion. Right, and, and I hope, you know, what the governor has done the past four years with uh, the Rebuilding Michigan plan and, and a commitment to really making a huge dent in our decades-long underfunding infrastructure, it provides some confidence that if given the resources, you know, we can do it. We can, we can rebuild a lot of these major freeways and bridges and that's what's been going on and uh you know with yet more resources we'll do more of that so absolutely yeah well thank you eric i appreciate you taking the time to be here absolutely thank you for the opportunity jeff i hope you enjoyed this week's edition of the talking michigan transportation podcast you can find show notes and more information at either the buzzsprout site or on apple podcasts I also want to thank the people who work on this podcast and make it as good as it can be each week. Chiefly, Randy Debler, who does the audio editing. Also, Jackie Salinas, who puts the transcript together. Jesse Ball, who proofreads the show notes. And Courtney Bates, who posts the podcasts on the various platforms. 